Good evening, church. It was a rough day today. Rough day for the devil, that is. Uh, I love causing him pain, making him pay a toll for what he's done in our lives. Um, I'm so happy and honored. I love it when I come to my home. This is my home, the mothership, uh, as, I, as I affectionately call it. <laughs> and uh, as everybody knows, pretty much everybody, uh, I'm the head of the Conquerors, and we get to break stuff for a living, and we don't get in trouble for it. Used to be malicious destruction of property, now it's ministry. And we've, we've got like 30,000 decisions for Jesus so far this year. Woohoo! In the last 10 years, we've had over 300,000 people make a decision for Jesus Christ. Cha-ching! We call that a good start. And um, in March, I'm really excited about March because the Conquerors are going to Pakistan in March. It's official. We're working on it. We're working on all the details right now. You know, for a long time, these guys from Pakistan would be hitting me up on Facebook and they're like, come on, you got to come to Pakistan. And I was like, if Jesus comes down with four angels with swords on fire and say, thou shalt go to Pakistan, I might consider it. But this one pastor, he contacted me, and, and the peace of God just flooded me. And the Holy Spirit said, contact him. So I contacted him, and, and all of his answers were totally, I mean, usually they'd be on you like white on rice, but he was like, you should pray about it. And I said, oh, don't worry, I prayed about it. <laughs> the Holy Spirit told me to go. So uh, we forged a relationship. He'll be here in October, and uh, in March, we're going to be going over there conducting Big Crusades in Karachi, the third largest city in the world. We get to bring the gospel. And we'll be on the only Christian television station in the whole country. So we look at it like if the enemy says you can't go there, we say, okay, that's where we're going to go. It's like taking a lightsaber and shoving it in the heart of Darth Vader. And I want to speak to you tonight about one of, a subject that I know, I know a lot about. It's called Strength. I began my love of strength as a young boy. I got my first set of weights when I was nine years old. And, and then I saw Conan the Barbarian, and it was on. I wanted to be like, I want to lift things up and put them down. <laughs> and, uh, and it was on. I was lifting weights and strength. And so I've been enamored with strength. I've been working out pretty much my whole life. And our culture is enamored with strength. Uh, I mean, we use strength as a, as a tool, as bait, basically, to get people's attention so we can tell them about the real strength in life, which is a relationship with the Father God through Jesus Christ. And it's across cultural. It's not only in the United States and Western culture, but it's all over the earth. I mean, I have yet to see a stadium packed with people watching a chess match. They're gathered to see physical demonstrations of something in some sort or some fashion. But you know, God looks at strength in a totally different manner. The Bible is full of people who would be picked last for games of tag. There are people who would not be uh, all that in the athletic realm. People like David. I mean, when the prophet came to David's house to anoint the new king, they left him out with the sheep. 
Because his dad said, oh, David, and literally in the Hebrew, it said the worthless one. God said, that's my guy. Gideon, he was the least in his nation, the least in his people, the least in his tribe. And God came to him and said, that's my guy. Right there. Mary, who was just a little Jewish girl from a little nowhere town. God said, that's my lady. Because God measures strength, not by the size of your bicep or the amount of your bench press. He measures strength by the capacity of your heart. Your heart to receive him, your heart to obey him, your heart to express all that he is. And so I'm here to tell you tonight that if you feel marginalized, if you feel that you are cast to the side, if you feel like nobody notices you or knows your name, God's saying, you're my person. You're the one I want to use. Um, in 1 Corinthians 1.27, this is in the Passion Translation, it says, but God chose those whom the world considers foolish to put to shame those who think they are wise. And God chose the puny and powerless to shame the high and mighty. And also in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9 and 10, also in the Passion Translation, it says, but he answered me, my grace is always more than enough for you, and my power finds its full expression through your weakness. Now, I know we ain't putting our weaknesses on fake book. <laughs> Everybody's got their best thing. They, they're, they're, they're photoshopping everything. They got their best foot forward, their, base, their best face. Nobody puts their weaknesses on there. But, and God says, so I will celebrate my weaknesses for when I'm weak, I sense more deeply the mighty power of Christ living in me. So I'm not defeated by my weaknesses, but delighted. For when I feel my weakness and endure mistreatment, when I'm surrounded with troubles on every side and face persecution because of my love for Christ, I am made yet stronger for my weakness becomes a portal to God's power. So God, a portal is, is a gate. It's a big, ornate gate. And in the sci-fi films, you know, we're often talking about portals from one dimension to another. Our weaknesses become a portal or an avenue for God's strength to be applied to your temporal situation. That's why Paul said, I celebrate my weaknesses. <laughs> we don't do that in this culture. We celebrate our strengths. And, and I'm not against that. Everybody, you know, if you have strengths and, and God's giving you strengths, that's good. But our weaknesses, because when you're doing something that other people are looking at them and scratching their head like, if somebody like me crawls under a bench and bench presses 500 pounds, everybody's going to be like, okay, we expect that. But if somebody like Pastor Daniel crawls under the bench and hits like 550 pounds, that's going to be impressive. <laughs> We're going to be going like, what are you putting in your Wheaties, young man? <laughs> He's working with something other than himself. And God wants to shine through in our weaknesses. He wants to take the little things of the world, the things that seem like they're insignificant, and he wants to do significant things through us. We have to make ourselves available to him. And, you know, there are times in our life when we need the super to be put on our natural. Like, I remember we travel a lot. We, we've been to 36 nations across this planet. We've had some very, very good experiences, but we've also had some rough experiences, one time we were in Manila and we saw a man gunned down 20 feet in front of us. And then the 
about, oh, it was about seven years ago, we were in the country of Albania. It's 98% Muslim. We were in Tirana, the capital, and we get to the airport. And our driver, Andy Dina, he says, I says, hey, how's things going around here? It was our second time over there. The first time we were over there, we were on national TV. A bunch of people got saved. It was a big, a big push and big impact on the enemy's kingdom. We're there the second time. I said, how's things been going? He goes, oh, we've been having a little trouble. The president, who was in the mafia's pocket, basically, he got voted out of office. And he said they've been lighting off car bombs. And we're like, oh, okay, you know. And we get into our hotel, and me and another team member, we're in there, and we're getting settled, and all of a sudden, boom, and the whole building shook. And my team member comes walking in there, and his eyes are about this wide, and he says, uh, was that what I thought it was? I said, yep, I think so. He said, I didn't sign up for this. I said, don't worry. God didn't call us over here to get blown up by a car bomb. He called us over here to preach the gospel. That's what we're going to do. But that was a time, were there fears, thoughts going through my head? Oh, yeah, you betcha. Was I feeling the pressure? Oh, yes, I was. That was a time when I needed the eternal strength within me to be applied to my temporal circumstances. In a time like that is not the time for Jesus light. It is not the time for Jesus sticker, bumper sticker on my car. It's time for full heavy whipping cream, full fat, 100% calorie Jesus Christ. But let me tell you, when your marriage is on the ropes and you're at your end, that's not the time for Jesus light either. That's the time for full fat, heavy calorie, fully whipping cream, Jesus Christ. You need the eternal applied to your temporal. And so we're going to be talking about that tonight. We're going to be talking about the gift of tongues, praying in tongues or other languages. Everything that you need for life is already in you if you're a born-again believer. Everything. And you know, a lot of times, I travel to a lot of churches, and we have a visitation culture. We have people say, come, Lord, come, Lord. And we need a habitation culture because God is already within us. He don't show up when we come together in the church building. He's already here because you're here. <laughs> yeah. The building doesn't make the church. The people make the church. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Everything you need is already inside of you. The scripture says, he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. When you got born again, Jesus' spirit and your spirit became one. How many of y'all know Jesus don't need any more strength? He don't need no Jane Fonda videos or P90X. All right? And if your spirit is joined with Jesus' spirit, you don't need any more strength in your spirit at all. But what you do need is you need the strength that you have within you to be applied to your temporal circumstances. And tongues is one of the most effective ways to bring the supernatural on the scene. First mm -hmm. Corinthians 14, 2 through 5, Passion Translation. When someone speaks in tongues, no one understands a word he says because he's not speaking to people, but to God. He is speaking intimate mysteries in the spirit. But when someone prophesies, he speaks to encourage people to build them up, to bring them comfort. 
The one who speaks in tongues advances his own spiritual progress, while the one who prophesies builds up the church. I would be delighted if you all spoke in tongues, but I desire even more that you impart prophetic revelation to others. Greater gain comes through the one who prophesies than the one who speaks in tongues, unless there is interpretation, so that builds up the entire church. Basically, people got the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They discovered the power of tongues. They were getting all built up, and they were in the church. They'd walk into the church, and they'd just, boom, start firing off in tongues. And Paul was like, hey, 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 hold up. Let's get this right here. Tongues is to build you up. And unless there's an interpretation, you need to kind of hold that to yourself when we're in the church setting. Because people are going to walk in there and say, what is wrong with these crazy people? And do you know that tongues is the only gift that's specifically for you? All the other gifts are for other people. Prophecy, healing, everything. It's all for, to minister to others. Tongues is the only one that builds you up. And Paul said, I would that all of you spoke in tongues. Because our number one enemy is not the world. Our number one enemy is not the devil. The devil's already defeated. He's a defeated foe. Our number one enemy is our own understanding and our own reason. Mm-hmm. We lean on it too much. And when you pray in tongues, it cuts off your own understanding. It's spirit-to-spirit communication. It's like having a red line, a red phone, straight to the commander-in-chief of heaven. It's unfiltered, unhindered communication with the living king. And I'm going to tell you from personal experience, I pray in tongues more and more and more and more. I find myself sometimes, I'm like, I'm like Johnny Varekin when he can't understand words, he spouts out in Spanish. I'm, I'm, somebody asked me a question one time, I'm, oh, 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 i got to speak in English. <laughs> Because it builds you up. It strengthens your spirit. Um, 1 Corinthians 14, 14 through 15. For I, if I'm praying in a tongue, my spirit is engaged in prayer. But I have no clear understanding of what is being said. So here's what I've concluded. I will pray in the spirit, but I will also pray with my mind engaged. I will sing rapturous praises in the spirit, but I also sing with my mind engaged. Now, this, this boy right here, you ain't going to find me singing nothing rapturous. Because I, I can lift heavy things, but I can't carry a tune to save my life. Our own understanding keeps us, it hinders us. And our number one enemy is the comfort zone. Because our understanding keeps us in what's comfortable, what we're used to. And let me tell you, nothing lives in the comfort zone. Everything dies in the comfort zone. Our hopes die there. Our dreams die there. God calls us to a life of risk. He calls us to step out into the unknown. It's unknown to you, but it's known to him. Proverbs 3 5 and 6, trust in the Lord completely and do not rely on your own opinions. With all your heart, rely on him to guide you and he will lead you in every decision you make. Be intimate with him in whatever you do and he will lead you wherever you go. Don't think for a moment that you know it all. Hmm. Knowledge puffs up, love edifies. Love is a spiritual emotion. Because God is love. He doesn't have love. He is love. Knowledge will puff up. We get, we get so educated. I'm, now don't get me wrong. 
I'm all about educating the mind with the scripture, sound doctrine, study to show thyself approved. I'm all for that. Our understanding should be saturated with the scripture. But we can't let our understanding or our knowledge trump our heart or spirit. Because then what happens is we end up becoming pharisaical. We think we know it all and we got God figured out. The more I walk with him and the more I learn, the more I find out I don't know anything compared to him. Mm. Mm. And what you are used to relying on in times of difficulty and stress is, is usually our default. You know, when times get tough and times get stressed, people go to things that they rely on, what they're used to relying on. And our physical strength and our mental strength, it has limitations, but the strength that's in our spirit is eternal and it has no limitations. You know, it's kind of like a military. Um, I've got, we've got a guy on our team. Uh, he, was, he spent several years in the special forces and these guys are small, tight squads and, and they, uh, they're uh, force multipliers. It's eight or ten guys can do the amount of damage on the enemy that a whole squadron or a whole platoon could do on the enemy because they're very highly efficient. And he says our number one asset is not our, not our training, it's not our weapons, it's our comms, our communication. Because they get overwhelmed by the enemy, they just call in an airstrike or a laser-guided bomb or something like that. But if our comms go down, we're out of there. Because without that communication, we're in trouble. And it also, in the battlefield, your communication is important, but also your vantage point. A soldier on the ground who's engaged in battle, he sees battle from, from his view, from his view as far as he can see. But whoever has the high ground or somebody who's flying over with a drone or something, they've got the best, they've got the best vantage point of the battlefield. How many of y'all know the one who sits on the throne has the best vantage point for the battle that we're facing? He's got a better perspective. We can see a situation, and even in our own biblical understanding, we can say, oh, we need to do this or we need to do, do that. But there are times, and, and I'd say 99% of the time, where we need to engage with our commander-in-chief and get his vantage point on every situation. We can't just wait for the big stuff. we got to do it in every. said, in all your ways, trust in him, and he will direct you on where you go. In intimacy, that is the key to winning every battle, is maintaining our intimacy with the Father God. There's so many people who know a lot about him, but they don't know him intimately. It's where he speaks to you, and he does more speaking. That's why he gave us ears, two ears and one mouth. It's, it's more blessed to listen than it is to speak. In our prayer life, we need to do a lot of listening because he's got a lot to say. Would you agree? Romans 8, 26 and 27. And in a similar way, the Holy Spirit takes hold of us in our human frailty to empower us in our weakness. For example, at times we don't even know how to pray or know the best things to ask for, but the Holy Spirit rises up within us to super intercede 
on our behalf, pleading to God with emotional sighs too deep for words. God, the searcher of the heart, knows fully our longings, yet he also understands the desires of the Spirit because the Holy Spirit passionately pleads before God for us, his holy ones, in perfect harmony with God's plan and our destiny. Man, I'm going to be praying in tongues because I want his perfection for my destiny. Yeah, everybody makes mistakes. That's a given. We learn from our mistakes, but I'm trying to avoid them at every chance I can. (laughs) Praying in tongues will put the super on anything natural in your life. Super intercede. I like anything with super on it. (laughs) And you know, there's been a lot of things about tongues. Oh, you know, it used to be in the charismatic renewal when everybody was flying around with flags and flipping out and and doing crazy stuff. Or this is a Pentecostal thing. No, tongues is a biblical thing. It's a kingdom thing. It's not an old time thing or a new time thing. It's an eternal thing. God wants us to advance the kingdom. He wants us to advance his kingdom on the earth. And he wants to do it through every one of us. Our job in the fivefold ministry as a pastor, preacher, evangelist, teacher, our job is to train and equip the saints to do the work of ministry. God wants to take the eternal and he wants to apply it to the temporal. And he wants to use you. He needs a few good men and women. And that would be you. Amen? Mm-hmm. Acts 2.4. They were all filled and equipped with the Holy Spirit and were inspired to speak in tongues, in, empowered by the Spirit to speak in languages they had never learned. And some people, I've had this argument a lot of times, well, that's just a bunch of gibberish. I'm, I'm like, okay, there's like 360-some known languages on the earth. I've got one of them down, English. I've got a smattering of a few other ones. A little bit of Spanish. So if I hear somebody speaking in Portuguese or Chinese or something, it sounds like gibberish to me. But it's fully understandable by the people who know the language. So using that excuse that it sounds like gibberish, well, then you just disqualify most of the people on the earth. It is a known language by your spirit, the Holy Spirit, and your Father in heaven. You know, in World War II, we almost lost World War II because of our communications. The Germans were eating our lunch because they were deciphering all of our codes and our, and our secret codes and stuff, and we couldn't, we couldn't decipher theirs. And so they got together at the War Department, and they said, we need a language that nobody else understands. And so somebody had the bright idea and said, uh, what about the Navajo Indians? Oh, yeah, the Navajos, the ones we relegated to the back wilderness of nowhere. The ones that we never studied in school because why study their language? They have no significance. They're weak. They're worthless, right? God takes the weak things of the world. So they recruited some Navajos and trained them, got them in the military, and they became the communications officers. And uh, there was a movie out, some of you may remember, called Wind Talkers which recorded their plight. And these guys started communicating in their language and it drove the Germans nuts. 
They couldn't, they couldn't break it. They couldn't crack the code. The smartest and the brightest, they put every, all the linguistic experts of the day could try to break it, but they couldn't break it because it wasn't known. When you pray in tongues, guess who it drives nuts? The devil. He hates it when you pray in tongues. Because you can pray in English according to your own understanding. And he's been working in English and he knows all the languages on the earth. He's been around a lot longer than all of us. He knows the languages. He can set things up. He can come against your prayers. But when you're praying in tongues, he can't stand it. That's why he brings a lot of opposition against it. I love it if he can't understand. I love to frustrate him. <laughs> he spends so much time frustrating me in my life, I, I'll take pleasure in causing him frustration and confusion. Acts 19, verses 1 through 7. While Apollos was ministering in Corinth, Paul traveled on through the regions of Turkey until he arrived in Ephesus, where he found a group of 12 followers of Jesus. The first thing he asked them was, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you became believers? No, they replied. We've not even heard of a Holy Spirit. Paul asked them, what was the meaning of your baptism? They responded, it meant that we would follow John's teaching. Paul said John's baptism was for those who were turning from their sins and he taught you to believe in and follow the one who was coming after him, Jesus, the anointed one. When they understood this, they were baptized into the authority of Jesus, the anointed one. And when Paul laid his hands on each of the 12, the Holy Spirit manifested and they immediately spoke in tongues and prophesied. Those of you who have studied the book of Acts know that Jesus appeared to the 12. They were hiding. They were locked in a room. And he appeared to them. And he said, peace be still. I'd be freaking out too if Jesus just appeared somewhere. And he said, don't look. Look at my hands. Flesh and blood doesn't have. And then he said, receive the Holy Spirit. And he breathed on them. And most, most Bible scholars agree that at that time they received the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. They were born again at that very moment. And then the scripture says Jesus spent 40 days, 40 nights, teaching them the things pertaining to the kingdom. That if, if it was trying to be contained, all the books in the world could not contain the wisdom that was conveyed from Jesus to his disciples in that 40 days. That tells me it wasn't head to head, it was spirit to spirit. You'd think they'd be all set, wouldn't you? They're born again. They got God's spirit on the inside. They got the best Bible education ever known in the history of the universe. you think they'd be all set. But Jesus said, no, no, I'm going to the Father. You wait until you receive the gift, the promise, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Then you shall be witnesses unto me and to all the nations and the, all the ends of the earth. So Jesus said, in order to be equipped, a believer's got to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Receive the anointing, the burden-removing, yoke-destroying power to cast out devils, to speak in new tongues. You know, I, I, I often say it like this. If you were to get arrested and tried in court for being a believer in Jesus Christ, would they have enough evidence to convict you? Because the litmus test for a believer is found in, in the book of Mark. It says, and these signs shall follow them that believe. It doesn't say these signs will follow pastors. 
These signs will follow special holy anointed ones. These signs shall follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out devils, speak in new tongues, lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Would you have enough evidence to convict you? And would there be enough witnesses to testify against you? Praise the Lord, I'd be guilty. I know I would. <laughs> so I believe that this is a time when God is calling the church to wake up. It is. It's time to quit playing church and start being the church. Because here, let me tell you the truth. There's people in your area of influence that the only Jesus that they are ever going to experience is inside of you. That's the only Jesus they're ever going to experience. I'm going to tell you one story. I was, uh, I, I do some speaking for some business organizations and I was at this, this soiree and there was a business guy there. And if I told you his name, you'd know his name. And uh, I've met him a couple times, but I, I really didn't know him. And, you know, I'm a little out of my comfort zone when I'm in these areas. Uh, and I'm sitting there and the Holy Spirit's telling me, now this guy's the life of the party. <laughs> He's got everything together, successful, everything else. I go to, and I'm looking around, I see this guy and the Holy Spirit tells me, I want you to go tell him not to kill himself. And I'm like, oh, right. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> I'd like to say I just, will, I just obediently and with great boldness went up there and told the guy that, but I struggled for over an hour to try to ignore the Holy Spirit. Every time I'd turn around and see the guy, the Holy Spirit was there, tell him not to kill himself, tell him not to kill himself, tell him not to, I mean, he literally wouldn't get off of me. So finally I said, okay. So I went up to him, I said, hi, so-and-so. He's like, hey, how you doing? You know, everything's great. I said, uh, um, I don't know how you're going to receive this, but uh, I feel like the Holy Spirit is uh, telling me, uh, not to take your own life. His countenance immediately changed. He said, come here. He took me into the back in the kitchen with tears welled up in his eyes. He said, how did you know that? I said, the Holy Spirit told me. He said, you just saved my life. He said, I had the gun. It was, I, I had it loaded and I cried out to God and I said, God, if you're real, send somebody to talk to me and stop me. <laughs> Woo! Now, now, I left that encounter emboldened. I left that encounter edified. But I also felt the weight and the gravity and the responsibility. Because what if I would have disobeyed the Holy Spirit? What if I would have? And a lot of people say, well, God will send somebody. No, but he chose me at that time, at that moment, to speak to that man. I don't know who else was in there who, who had the Holy Spirit or who knew the baptism of the Lord. I had no clue. You see, sometimes we go about our daily life and we think that, you know, we're, we're good, we're saved, we're going to heaven, but people are relying on you. Life and death hang in the balance of what you do and say and be obedient to the Holy Spirit. It hangs in, in you, in your obedience. 
And I know that when, when people stand before heaven, yeah, we're going to get a ticket, we're going to get in. But when we find out the things that we didn't do and, and what the consequences were, that's going to be, it's going to be an eye-opening experience. So this is what I feel like the Holy Spirit is saying for tonight's service. What's going to happen next? First, I'd like everyone here to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. And I just want you, I just want you to meditate on what you've just heard. I want you to meditate on that in your heart. And I want you to examine your heart. Because here's the truth. One day, one way, every single person in the hearing of my voice, we're going to leave these bodies. We're going to stand before God, creator of heaven and earth, creator of the universe. He's not going to whip out cosmic scales, put all your church attendance and good deeds on one side, put all your sins and disobedience on the other and see which one weighs out more in order to determine whether or not you spend eternity with him or eternity separated from him. He's going to look every single one of us directly in the eyes and he's going to ask us one question, one question only. And that question is this. Do you know my son and does my son know you? That's the question. Not do you know about him, not how many scriptures can you quote. Do you know him? Are you in intimate relationship with Jesus? And if you're honest in your heart right now and you're saying, Mike, I really don't know him. I've got good news for you tonight. Tonight, you can make one decision. One decision to forsake living for yourself and give it all. Put all your chips on the table and surrender your life to Jesus Christ. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, this is a decision between you and God. I'm not going to call you up here. But if, you, if that's you and you say, I'm going to give my heart to Jesus. I've been playing games with God or I haven't gone all in. I want to give my all to him because he gave his all for you. On the count of three, if that's you, I just want you to raise your hand and raise it high. One, two, three. Slip up your hand. I see that hand. Is there anybody else? I see that hand back there. Raise it high. see that hand back there. I see that hand. Awesome. Awesome. Put your hand down. Hands down. And would you repeat this prayer with me? Those of you who raise your hands in church, would you join in too? Mean it with your heart and say it with your mouth. Say, dear Jesus, this night I surrender my life. I give you all that I am. My heart, my soul, in my body because I believe that Jesus son of the living God died for me for my sin and I have sinned God against you and against my fellow men but tonight I repent I turn my back I'm living for myself. From this night forward, I'm going to live for you, Jesus, Savior, and Lord of my life. 
Amen. Let's give the Lord a big round of applause. Woohoo!